Assalamu alaikum, good morning and welcome to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam. My name is Maad Khan, the time is two minutes past ten on today, Sunday the 3rd of March 2024 and you're listening live to Weekend World. On Weekend World we like to go behind the headlines, go uh, deep into the week's news and uh, look at it from an Islamic perspective and I'm very lucky to be joined uh, today by uh, Khalil Yusuf and uh, Dr. Abdul Aleem, regular contributors to the program. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, gentlemen. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. Good morning. Very good to have you both um, on today and lots to talk about. It's, I mean, we, we look at the state of the world at the moment and, and uh, the huge amount of comment about the painful, painful scenes that we see coming out of Gaza as the continued bombardment of the Palestinian people um, happens. We have seen reports of um, hundreds of thousands of individuals uh, close to starvation or or starving to death, um, destruction of of all infrastructure. We've spoken about this many, many times on on the, the program before the deaths of innocent women and children. Anyone that turns on the the TV or goes on social media will will see these reports and um, and yet despite that there's many who would sadly continue to dismiss what is happening and um, perhaps that these things are not are not real um, or that they're somehow exaggerated or that the um, uh, what what the Israeli uh, army is doing is is necessary in in some respects. Um, because of the the actions of Hamas on the seventh of October, it, it's pretty clear, however, that that um, international opinion now is turning um, against this idea, and and that it, it, it's very very clear that uh, what is happening now is a massacre of the of the Palestinian people in in Gaza. Um, it and and politicians around the world are also now uh, s- starting to. Uh, recognize that it is it's not tenable to have a position where they are uh, com- completely supportive of um the work of the Israeli government and the Israeli army in this respect today we see in the news that um the very very sadly on friday 112 people were killed in northern gaza um, when Israeli troops opened fire on individuals near an aid truck, and uh, this led to obviously the, the the deaths of many, but also injury to many people who who were do- doing nothing more than going to try and get food for their families. And uh, the UN Security Council convened an emergency session on uh, on this, um, uh, and. Uh, and even the uh, White House called for the deaths to be thoroughly investigated. Uh, the the scenes were were horrific, though, and 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 it's pretty obvious that um, the Israeli army were were uh, were acting in a in a, in a way which um, led to the deaths of of uh, many many individuals there. Um, this this is um uh, Khalil, if I can start with you on this um this is not the only example of brutality that we've seen during this conflict but just just another example and and it's it's led to the american um government making a decision to drop 
aid into Gaza, which many have, have subsequently criticized uh, for lots of reasons, but we can talk about that in a moment. But just your th- your thoughts on on this uh, to to start with, ra- roundly condemned by uh, by many governments and by the uh, by the UN as uh, as well. Your thought your thoughts on this? So, um, first of all, you know my thoughts and prayers are with all of the innocent people that are suffering in this conflict. Uh, the by and large, the largest proportion of people that are suffering at the moment are, of course, the Palestinians. Um, it's often difficult to determine what's actually happening unless we hear about reports from people who are on the ground, because the newspapers and the uh, news outlets often have uh, an agenda and you don't necessarily know what the right information is. But mm. I did see a statement from an organization in Jerusalem called the Patriarchs and Heads of the Churches in, district in Jerusalem. And uh, they're an organization which are uh, on the ground within the region. And mm. I thought I would just see, you know, what it is that they said about this uh, situation. Obviously, uh, the, the Israelis have said that uh, it was largely as a result of uh, people who were trying to attack the aid convoys, uh, whereas the perspective of others is that a large number of of, uh, of those people were, were actually killed through by bullet wounds by the IDFs. And so I did look at the statement and uh, they said um, that they, they have eyewitness testimonies of Israeli forces in southwest Gaza City opening fire on crowds of civilians who they say were trying to get sacks of flour to feed their starving families, which is a term that they have used in their in their statement. And they've said that that resulted in the death of, of more than 100 Gazans with uh, hundreds more seriously injured. And so when I read that from an organization that is on the ground within Jerusalem, it is of great concern to me because there is no reason why the patriarchs and heads of the churches in Jerusalem, uh, who obviously are not uh, Muslims, they're not connected with the uh, uh, Israeli government, um, Mm. but they issue a statement in which they use the words horrifying events and cruelty. Um, They also refer to the innocents that are suffering from the war and they require an immediate and lengthy ceasefire to allow for speedy disbursement of relief supplies. And that that humanitarian pause or humanitarian ceasefire or bilateral ceasefire, whatever you want to call it, is really important because this war is having a disastrous impact on innocent people. It is innocent women and innocent children who have no part to play in the war between Hamas and between the Israeli government who are suffering here. There are talks of uh, a ceasefire being on the table and I very much hope that that ceasefire happens and that we head towards a a speedy two-state solution. I know sometimes people feel that that's impossible but there really has to be a goal. A, A ceasefire is by its very nature, temporary, and that needs to be made permanent, and that can only happen with a two-state solution. Thank you, 
Khalil for that. And Dr. Alim, just to just to bring you in on on this, and uh, I, I think Khalil is is right to um, look at look at all of the different um, sources of of news on this. I, I think we we've we find ourselves in this position where there is such a significant um, vacuum of news from the ground on this, and the, and the only source of news, therefore, that is uh, that becomes apparent in terms of any sort of analysis is is that which is brought by the Israeli army. Um, so we can either look at what little social media there is coming out of the ground. Um, the reports from independent eyewitnesses, many have been to the hospital and said that we can see individuals brought in with bullet wounds, um, or, or we can listen to what is being said by the Israeli army on this. But uh, but I think it, it, it feels to, to me like we're in a position now where the evidence is so overwhelming in respect of these atrocities that continue that it's, it's very difficult to find oneself in a position where we uh, are able to give the Israeli army the benefit of the doubt when it comes to questions around um, the, the their actions in Gaza in respect of um, innocent Palestinian citizens. You're right, uh, Dr. Ahmad. Um, I think, of course, uh there are, you know, spokespeople from the United Nations who are not Muslims who are still in Gaza. Uh, we have seen these statements from UNICEF, uh, some statements from uh, UNRWA, and these people are not uh, either Palestinians or Muslims. They are Western uh, representatives of these institutions still in Gaza, and they have uh, corroborated some of these atrocities that are going on. Uh, and, of course, as you know, that uh, the health ministry run by Hamas, which was the elected government in uh, Gaza, uh, uh, the figures that have come out of that uh, ministry have been proven to be correct overall for the last uh, three, uh, uh, you know, invasions that, uh, incursions that Israel had made into Gaza. And uh, a lot of experts agree that their numbers have always been correct. So I think there is really no reason mm. to dispute uh, in view of the fact that multiple sources now are claiming that this is what is exactly going on. Uh, but also one should note that the reason why no news or journalists are coming out of Gaza is not because people are not willing to go. You know, just recently, a couple of days back, 25 or 20 international news agencies, including uh, CNN, NBC, CBA, CBS, uh, American outlets, UK outlets, all have appealed to Israel to allow international journalists to go in and to report from Gaza. Uh, you also know that this is the first international uh, inter intervention into a country where uh, more than 130 journalists have been killed and killed in a targeted manner. Uh, so there is a reason why uh, no news are coming out. It's because journalists have been targeted and killed so that nobody ever finds out exactly what is going on in Gaza and that people are unable to see the level of cruelty and barbarity mm. that is being unleashed on the Palestinian people. So I think that there is a, there is a good reason. But as you said, I think that uh, after the plausible genocide judgment of the International Court of Justice that was given on 20th of uh, last February, 
uh, it is uh, quite clear that uh, with the statements of intention from the far-right extremist Israeli government and the uh, actions that have been consistently seen and taped and videoed and released online, on air, uh, live, uh, it is very difficult to, you know, say, well, this might be still a controversial issue. So there's really no two, uh, you know, uh, opinions about it. It is happening. And what we're seeing is the first live uh, uh, genocide happening in front of our eyes. And that is what it makes this makes this so horrible, actually. Mm. Thank, thank you, Dr. Leem. And I guess reasonable people will, will say, well, you know, we, we, we can't make a judgment without the evidence it feels at this point that the evidence is so overwhelming that there is there is no space now f- for anyone to to be apologetic in their uh, understanding that, that that this is a an awful awful humanitarian tragedy a one-sided humanitarian tragedy which is unfolding now we we've seen people on the protesting on the streets of of this country and many countries around the world um, in, sport, in support of the Palestinian people. Unfortunately, there are some politicians also who interpret support for the Palestinian people as support for Hamas, which is um, an awful framing of this thing. Um, when you imagine that the vast majority of, of people who live in, in Gaza are young people um, who were far too young to have, to have voted for Gaza the last time there were elections in, in Gaza, uh, so, uh, voted for Hamas the last time there were elections in Gaza. Uh, and f- for those individuals, many of them children, there can be no way that they can be representative of um, Hamas or seen to somehow speak for Hamas or be in favor of Hamas. Uh, and so if if we th- think that the actions of Hamas were were brutal on the 7th of October and um there's, there's no question that the uh, the the attacks uh, on uh, the the settlers in occupied territories which happened on the 7th of October were were, were brutal and horrific. Um, and and many uh, innocent civilians uh, died as a result of that. So there's no way that anyone could ever justify the deaths of innocent civilians in a in a situation of war or purported war. But the same goes for both sides. We cannot have some sort of standard which says that because Hamas are in quotes evil their actions are worse than the actions of the Israeli Defense Force because they are somehow uh, on on the side of justice. What justice can there possibly be? And His Holiness, um, the head of the Worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim Community and Voice of Islam Radio is, is uh, part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, a voice of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. The worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, has spoken on this on, on many, many occasions and has said that if if one imagines that the response of the Israeli government and the Israeli army were revenge and you could you could somehow, even if you could somehow justify it as revenge, then the proportionality which has been um, brought down 
on the Palestinian people is is way out of kilter with what happened on the 7th of October. Um, and, and that's n- not even if one... Uh, if one completely removes from one's mind the history of the oppression of the Palestinian people over the last seventy plus years, so uh, it it is it's it, it very difficult to understand how anyone can can even consider that there is some justification for the actions of the Israeli army and the disproportionality uh, and and the disregard for human life which is which is happening here. Um, speaking on the on the question of of protests, there's quite a lot that's been happening in British politics, which is of of note uh, over the last few days. And probably the the first thing I, w- I will uh, pick up on is the fact that um, George Galloway, um, uh, standing not not on behalf of any mainstream British um, party, has won uh, a by election in Rochdale. Now, the main thing that he stood for. Uh, and Rochdale has a large Muslim community, was the fact that um, British politicians have failed to stand up for um, the voices of British citizens in their protest against the actions of um, Israel uh, against the civilians of Gaza. And one may or may not agree with George Galloway's politics overall, uh, but it's it's pretty clear that he speaks for a voice of protest against mainstream politics in this country. Um, and uh, again, clearly, if, if I can bring you in on this, um, obviously a lot of a lot of noise, a lot of controversy. George Galloway is presents himself in 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 a particular way, which people find controversial. He's quite an ebullient uh, political character. Um, which again, some some people find refreshing. You know the fact that he's he's willing to stand up and and really speak his truth to whoever is is willing to listen. He doesn't play uh, any sort of covert politics. He he speaks his mind. Um, but the, this, I mean, it's pretty clear where we've we've got um, the Workers Party winning a forty percent share, an independent of twenty percent share, and the Conservative and Labour Party coming in a close, uh, a not very close third and fourth position. Notwithstanding the fact that the, the Labour candidate, who was disowned by Labour for purported anti-Semitic comments that that um, uh, were made. Um, uh, was he he had no support at all from from the Labour Party, but he still still stood on the Labour ticket. Um, it, it's a significant shift uh, for politics in in Rochdale, and I, and I think probably represents a significant challenge for the Labour Party, who have always seen themselves as being champions for Muslims in this country. So just on that particular point, there's a lot to unpack here, but on that particular point, Khalil, um, what what do you think this means for British politics? Look, we live in a democratic system and the importance of democracy is that it is government by the people or for the people and by the people. Um, The idea is that people choose their government or whoever is going to represent them in parliament through free and fair elections. All of the political parties, uh, whoever chooses to stand, have an opportunity to put forward whatever liberal guarantees that they want to put forward. Mm. 
and at the end of it, the people then go to the polls, regardless of ethnic, geographic, class or business interest, and they make a decision on polling day about who they want to be elected. Mm. Now, it is clear that democracy has resulted, that independent free fair vote has resulted in the election of George Galloway, which who is, as you say, a divisive individual who everybody has very different views about. But what it tells us, the question we need to be asking is not necessarily what George Galloway represents and who he, who he is as a person. It's actually why is it that the people have chosen to reject all of the established parties and whoever else was on the ballot paper mm. in favour of somebody else that apparently the rest of the, the political class don't find acceptable. And the reason is that the other political parties, for whatever reason, have not been able to put forward a message that is compelling enough in order to persuade the voters to vote for them. And so that means that politicians need to look at what it is that the people have wanted, what it is that is concerning them, and speak to that issue. It is the role of politicians to act as servants of the people and act as their representatives in Parliament. Uh, and often when you are engaging in politics, although there are national issues, it's very important that you consider what's happening uh, to local people in your constituency on the ground, because MPs are there to represent their constituents, the people in their area within Parliament. So if politicians are not doing that, if they're not identifying what the issues are that they're concerned about and not offering the potential for proper representation in Parliament, clearly people will look elsewhere. So I think that if, if there is a concern about George Galloway, then the concern really has to be why it is that people have elected somebody on, on such a significant majority in the face of other political parties clearly not addressing the issues that were of concern to that part of the electorate. Thank you, Khalil. And Dr. Aline, bring, bring you in here. The, the British Prime Minister held a press conference soon after that um, win by George Galloway, in which he he spoke about quite a few things. But but one one of the things that he that he said was, um, I mean, he, he in a roundabout way con- condemned protest um, against uh, against what is happening in 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 Gaza and. and and although he he framed it as um, a question of extremism, both um, uh, he said uh, Islamist extremism, f- uh, far right extremism in this country, and that they we we shouldn't let them hijack um, the the narrative in this country. Uh, but he the examples that he gave were purely about um, the the marches against what is happening. Uh, in Gaza against the Palestinian people, that somehow this was the this was the problem. Now I've seen those marches, I've been in central London, I've observed what they are, and they are a broad sweep of the British populace, not just Muslims, peacefully marching in protest against what is happening and against the support of the British government for the Israeli government in what they are doing, which has continued despite the cruelties that are happening in Gaza. And people have a right to be angry when their government is doing things in their name that they do not agree with. But your your thoughts on that and your thoughts on what the, what the Prime Minister of the UK said? 
Well, I'm a bit surprised uh, that people will find uh, what George Golovey was saying uh, a bit controversial because I think what he is now representing is uh, a view that has now been expressed by millions of British people in the streets over the last three or four months. Mm. Um, so he's really representing a very, very common and uh, to a certain extent popular point of view that the British government is failing to represent what British people are saying. And this is almost a repeat of what happened uh, when, the Brit- when the UK went to war with Iraq. Uh, we had similar protests in the UK, millions of people coming out and asking UK government not to do it, and the government still did it. And you also know what happened in the British Parliament over mm. the last couple of weeks mm. with the resolutions being tabled and not being uh, allowed to play out in a democratic fashion. So I think that uh, what uh, George Golovey is now representing is uh, a voice in the Parliament that has not been heard uh, uh, by mm. the British people who are now saying that the Parliament is not representing their views. I think that's uh, quite clear. But also, uh, I think that uh, what we need to know and say clearly is that uh, you know not just us but uh, uh, but even the israeli newspapers like the Haaretz, you know the beth shalem the israeli human rights agency uh, amnesty mm-hmm. international uh, several international agencies including the world court of international court of justice has now said that this is an apartheid that is taking place and in some cases it is in fact even worse in south africa this apartheid against the palestinians uh, in uh, occupied territories has gone far beyond that. And so, you know, there is really now almost a clear view that this is no controversy. And uh, and I believe that uh, uh, the British politicians who do not listen to their own people will be on the wrong side of both the politics and the history. Uh, they will probably lose. And this now, this, uh, this um, you know, win by George Golovey, in fact, represents a real shift in British politics. Uh, so people should actually sit up and notice and, you know, try and make sure that uh, they should listen to what the, what the millions of people marching in, in uh, London and in the UK are saying, basically. Thank you, Dr. Lehman. And, and as you said, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that the British mainstream politics seems to be completely out of kilter with the vast majority of, of peaceful people in this country who are very concerned seeing these scenes which are coming to them from the ground in Gaza and the cruelty being meted out. And and yet we see politicians from other parts of the world clearly speaking out a, against this. And it's very interesting to see, and I wonder if there's a reflection here on the difference between the global north and the global south. And His Holiness Azam Masrur Ahmed was speaking uh, very recently to uh, the people of Ghana at their international convention which happened last week and he said much of the developed world which has no link to spirituality or justice is inflicting grave cruelties on humanity Um, and he encouraged Africa to become the beacon of hope for the world and I think that when it comes to these questions of uh, moral justice and moral courage people are much more likely to to find this coming out of Africa, coming out of other parts of the global south than they are from the global north who've always seen themselves as being the uh, standard bearers of um, uh, of good good moral justice um, uh, when it comes to questions of, of 
international politics, and at least at least that is the the rhetoric which has always been, um, uh, which has always played out within uh, the political sphere in in much of the Western world. Dr. Lim. Indeed, I think that uh, uh, several South uh, South American governments, Latin American governments, have come out very clearly. You know. The Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian president has come out very clear. Colombian president has said the same thing that they, they believe that this is, uh, uh, you know, a genocide going on. Uh, and uh, uh, South Africa, as you know, um, as uh, the head of the Amadia movement talked about, is Africa becoming a beacon of justice and hope. Uh, I'm glad that South Africa was the one who led the effort at the International Court of Justice mm. uh, to to bring this to the fore. And now Nicaragua has actually gone ahead and filed a lawsuit against uh, Germany for supporting what uh, gov- the far-right government is doing in Israel uh, and br- bringing Germany to the International Court of Justice. So yes, I, I believe that that is happening, but let's not also forget some of the European governments who have, uh, in fact, also said the same thing. Uh, yesterday, France came out and condemned uh, what happened on the the Flower Massacre mm-hmm. about a couple of days back very clearly. Uh, you know, the Belgians uh, have uh, have been very vocal. Uh, Spain has been uh, very vocal, and uh, uh, you know, Portugal has uh, has given aid to UNRWA despite the 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 israeli propaganda that uh, disqualified on and which has not been supported by any evidence so far so i think that uh, th- there is a tide of global opinion shifting gradually uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, there are some you know, very very powerful lobbies and interest groups that do not allow the democratic processes to take their uh, process to uh, to uh, with integrity and reflect public opinion in those dem- democratic processes. And that is the real cause of concern here, because as you know, we have also mentioned even before what happened to the occupied territories in, in Gaza and Palestine on 7th of October, that there is a slide in non-representational democratic practices mm. where lobbies have taken over parliaments and governments and Congress members and, and have influenced their opinions through uh, illegal and illegal means whereby they are unable to be honest to their constituents, basically. And I think that is really a real cause of concern, and that perhaps is also a harbinger of what more dangers lie for the humanity in general going forward. Because if you are unable to express public opinion, uh, which is now very much against what is what Israel is doing to Palestine and the occupied territories, then we have really no hope that decisions will be made which will uh, which will stop this process from going forward and moving to a very very catastrophic event which uh, his holiness Mr. Masoor Ahmed uh, has been talking about over the last uh, one and a half decades that this might actually move into and is more, is more and more likely to move into a global uh, catastrophe Thank you, Dr. Lehman. And that, that is a, a word of warning that His Holiness as a Muslim has given on many occasions. And, and Khalil, I wonder if you want to pick that up. He's spoken over the last decade plus at the peace conferences held by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK, warning of the dangers of uh, World War Three, of a conflagration, of the the risk of, of nuclear war, which, which many are now talking about very openly when you see the sorts of players who potentially could get involved 
in a wider conflict in the area, it is a grave concern and needs to be spoken about. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, His Holiness has spoken extensively on the importance of pursuing justice. And that really is the, if, if I could pick out the underlying theme, that is the point. It is saying that we must pursue justice. And sometimes justice means that you have to give up some of your own rights. I mean, that's the essence of doing things in a truthful way, where you give something up in order to acquire a much greater benefit. And I think there are lots of regions within the world, we've spoken about Israel and uh, what's happening in Gaza extensively today, but that is a very good example of where it's really important that we focus on pursuing justice and how do we do that? We know that what's happening in that region is a humanitarian disaster, it's a catastrophe. So many tens of thousands of people, innocent people uh, have been killed and what, what must we do now in order to implement that uh, need for justice? We have to focus on a, a ceasefire on all sides. Everybody must stop fighting. The largest amount of, of fighting and hostilities are mm. coming from the Israelis. Obviously, they have uh, significantly more resources than than anybody else. Um, but there needs to be a ceasefire on all sides so that humanitarian aid can be brought into that region and the, the, the starving people, suffering people within that area uh, are able to at least have the basic amenities that they need to survive. And then what needs to happen is the international community and in particular the surrounding countries, the Muslim nations, uh, they need to make a significant effort. Qatar is also already trying to broker some deals, but all of the Muslim nations, in my view, in the surrounding regions need to be engaged in really pursuing a long-term permanent solution uh, based on a, on a two-state solution. That really needs to be the main, main focus. So it's to stop the humanitarian catastrophe now and then to pursue a two-state solution. And that is for the benefit, not just of those in Gaza, but it's for the benefit of uh, Israelis and Palestinians. And I want to make one other point, if I may. This is not about Muslims, and it's not about Jews. Mm. Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, and those of no, no faith are all our brothers and sisters in humanity, and we feel pain for the suffering of everybody. This conflict is a conflict between the Israeli government and between uh, Hamas. It is not a conflict between Muslims and Jews, and there are lots and lots of organizations, you know, who make that point, including those Within uh, Israel, there is a, a, a wonderful organization called uh, Combatants for Peace, uh, an Israeli organization in which Israelis and Palestinians come together, a grassroots movement uh, trying to bring an end to occupation and bring peace, equality and freedom. And organizations like that represent actually the two, true spirit of Jews and Muslims and others who are all brothers and sisters and don't want violence, they don't want conflict. So, so we mustn't confuse the political with the religious. The religious really uh, has not anything to do with this. It's not what drives it. Um, well, you, you might say on one side it does, but it is not intended to, to drive it. This is a, a political issue. 
and the two must not be conflated. Uh, thank you, Khalil, and, and very um, wise words there. And I guess, you know, just picking up on, on that particular thread that you said, when the Western world and, and you know, the majority of people maybe living in, in this country look and see the actions of ISIS, for instance, um, who claim to speak on behalf of Muslims around the world and, and Islam and, and went on a conquering rampage through through many, many countries, the vast majority of Muslims were, were horrified at at what they saw and at what was happening in in the in the name of Islam, and that was that was truly horrifying. Now, to bring bring us on to the next part of the discussion, um, you're you're absolutely right. What we see is a political entity here in in um, Israel, um, the Israeli government. It, it's it's pretty clear that they also take their purported motivation out of the idea of a form of religious extremism which is which is zionism and they take their motivation from the idea that um uh, the the jewish people um have the right to live in that part of the world and and uh and that right uh by but by by its very definition excludes non-Jews in that part of the world and uh, i th- i think all right-minded Jews in this country would also equally condemn um the, the that ideology that political ideology just as right-minded Muslims in this country would condemn the political ideology of ISIS there to to the minds of many people there is no difference between the two and Dr. Alim just to bring you in on on this particular point um this political ideology of Zionism has a very long history and it's and it's interesting to see how and unfortunately it's got to a point now where British politicians um, probably because of the history of, of Britain in respect of um, uh, the the Zionist um, uh, setting up of of uh, uh, the the Zionist proposal within uh, within Israel, um, they are unable to condemn what is happening in the name of uh, of religious extremism in that in that part of the world. Um, but but just just to have your thoughts on this, Dr. Lean. Yes, and this is, I think, what we were talking about uh, uh, last time also, that um, that there is, of course, uh, very powerful, um, you know, uh, uh, lobbies, interests, and groups that help to uh, to create monsters out of uh, religious ideologies, turning them into political ideologies. Uh, And uh, there is no exception to this among all religions. Uh, You know, uh, you have uh, uh, from uh, from India, you have the emergence of Hindutva, which is also an extremist ideology based on Hindu nationalism. Uh, We have seen many Pakistan Muslim countries where Uh, where Islam has been used to create national identity, and then that has risen to, to given rise to Islamist and extremist organizations like IS. Uh, and and then you have the far right uh, Christians, uh, the evangelical Christians in the in the U.S. who use the same uh, reasons. Uh, and so Zionism is also a sort of uh, a monster, political monster created out of the theology, 
of and a misinterpretation of of Judaism. Mm. Uh, let's remember that uh, Islam, Judaism, Christianity are not nationalities and they are not races. Um, but the racial uh, superiority, uh, you know, is uh, one of the ways in which nationalism is expressed, mm. and this nationalism's uh, nationalism is expressed through, uh, you know, uh, uh, using some of the verses in holy scriptures to say that we are the best people on earth and we have the right to do whatever we want to do to the others, and this otherization of people around us is what gives rise to violence because only then you are able to do the kind of brutal things that you do to other people because they're not humans. And I think that there has been a real uh, effort on behalf of, of uh, both the Western media and many other people, uh, including, I think, uh, many Muslim countries where they have not condemned uh, Islamist uh, extremist tendencies to, uh, to otherize people and to dehumanize them and then do the kind of brutality uh, and, and the atrocities that we see now uh, in, in most parts of the world. But that's also to say that we should not also uh, rem uh, you know, forget the background of this. You know, in 1948, because of the Balfour Declaration and the origin of the Zionist uh, movement in the UK by Theodor Herzl, uh, the, the Jews were allowed and were uh, given the permission to settle in the area that is called Palestine now. Mm. And that gave rise to this controversy, which was also almost similar to what happened in parts of the subcontinent where the retreating British Empire created, uh, had, had, uh, had, uh, you know, made some decisions which still uh, linger on to, 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 the, to, to, to today. Mm. And even at that time in 1948, when uh, this division took place uh, in, the, in the Palestinian territory, uh, you know, people like Sazafullah Khan, uh, who was a great Pakistani uh, statesman, had warned about uh, this tragedy uh, where he said that the Palestine is, will now be forever put on cross, where its body will bleed, uh, you know, uh, forever. And this is exactly, these are the prophetic words that have come true. Mm. Uh, you know, and also people like uh, Mr. Galway are, uh, are sort of considered controversial because he stands for, you know, national, uh, uh, national right to self-determination. We also sometimes forget that uh, according to the UN resolutions in 19, uh, in many, many, 62 resolutions that uh, have been put in place, uh, you know, most of Palestine still remains in occupied territory. And resisting occupation is not violence, is not, it is allowed actually in the UN Charter when people struggle for self-determination. So I think that uh, we should, you know, uh, we have enough evidence and documentation of the fact that, uh, you know, we are trying to uh, conflate many concepts together and that is giving rise to this kind of confusion where we are afraid sometimes to say and call, you know, um, uh, things for what they are and that's really a, a big tragedy because we are now looking at uh, at uh, you know millions of people being starved uh, and I have I'm really afraid now that with the situation as it is right now where Palestinians have no way to go either into into Egypt or to Jordan or to return back to north or central uh, Gaza. Mm. The problem is that you might actually see the death of millions of one of 1.5 million people who have now been are now living in an area equal to Heathrow, where you have a sort of a compact, dense population, and now, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. diseases are breaking out, starvation is taking place. And it appears that uh, 
there seems to be uh, a, a complete paralysis in global political institutions, international institutions of diplomacy, and the countries that can do something about it, like the U.S., where decisions are still not being made to stop this atrocity, to stop this starvation from taking place. You know, the U.S. just dropped 38,000 meals yesterday after supplying, uh, you know, uh, military equipment to Israel to help the starving Palestinians, which doesn't go, you know, uh, you know, any in any case to relieve the suffering that is mm. taking place. And the problem is now that the only country that can really stop this is is the U.S. And within the U.S., the two powerful lobbies that, you know, John Marsheimer, who is a very, very famous professor of uh, international politics, has mentioned, the real influence of IPAC, which is a Jewish lobby in the U.S., and also the influence of the military-industrial complex of huge corporations that are making money out of it, where when the U.S. actually promises money to be given to uh, either Ukraine or to Israel, most of this money goes back to the constituencies of the U.S. Uh, Congress people. So there is a, a vicious cycle in place where uh, it is uh, the, the U.S. political system and the American president has not been able to take decisions because we know now that uh, the U.S. leadership is now very frustrated with what is happening uh, and what is being done by the Netanyahu government in uh, Palestine. And they are uh, they are in the background uh, very, very worried about what is going on because this might actually even affect the election of uh, Mr. Biden. So I think that uh, the paralysis of the of the international system is now pointing to the fact that this might actually, uh, you know, go into a real worldwide conflict. And the fact that, uh, you know, Israel might be might now have an existential threat if this spreads into Iran, uh, towards Iran and uh, Hezbollah gets involved. And then the use of nuclear weapons is now being openly talked about. Mm. So we are now looking at, uh, uh, for the first time ever in the world history, and of course, you know, the Ahmadiyya movement, head of the Ahmadiyya movement has been saying this over the last one and a half decade, that a nuclear war is now possible. This is now, over the last two, three months, several international experts and political politicians have started talking about why this is possible and who is going to use it first. Mm. So... We are now looking. We are now on the brink of a, of a nuclear war and a catastrophe, and we are we are all sitting helplessly in our in our homes, uh, just being able to protest, and not being able to do anything to implement to stop this uh, you know uh, configuration or uh, one-sided massacre that uh, seems to not to be able to uh, just seems to be taking humanity to a full-scale disaster. Thank you, Dr. Lim, and and just to. Just to pivot back to one of the central challenges here, as as Khalil said, that the only way in which we can move forward as far as this conflict is concerned is a ceasefire, and and uh, and in relation to that, then the aid and the relief that needs to go in for the Palestinian people and the rebuilding that needs to happen. Part of the challenge in all of this is that whilst a two two state solution would guarantee the rights of the Palestinian people, we still have a situation where uh, Israel, as as conceived as a state purely for Jewish individuals, um, is by its very nature a, uh, an ethno-religious state that, is, that assumes that um, Jews have an inalienable right um, to uh, to to live in in Israel apart from others and and 
there are there are people that would argue, uh, Khalil, if I bring you on, in on this point, that that to to condemn that aspect of Israel is anti-Semitic. Interestingly, when one looks back at the history of the formation of Israel and all the way back to 1917, the end of the First World War, the Balfour Declaration, there was a, a single Jewish member of the cabinet, the British cabinet at that time, called Edwin Montague. And um, he was... Um, a, an incredible figure by all accounts. He was Secretary of State for, for India at the time. And he was very troubled by this idea of um, uh, uh, of supporting uh, a Zionist ideal. And he, and he said that he, in, in his opinion, it was anti-Semitic. And his logic for this was that if we make an assumption that Jews have a right to return to their historical homelands uh, and and that that is the place where Jews should be, then, by definition, Jews should not be anywhere else. And therefore, Jews would not be welcome in any other part of the world. And when you look at the history of what happened after the formation of Israel, that is exactly what occurred. Um, and we've seen a, ri a rise in anti-Semitism around the world. Um, and he also interestingly spoke about the rights of those who were already there. And I'm going to quote from something that he said in a, in a memo to the cabinet. He wrote, I assume it means that Mohammedans, which is the term that was used for Muslims, I assume it means that Mohammedans and Christians are to make way for the Jews and that the Jews should be put in all positions of preference and should be peculiarly associated with Palestine in the same way that England is with the English or Fr France with the French, that Turks and other Mohammedans in Palestine will be regarded as foreigners, just in the same way as Jews will hereafter be treated as foreigners in every country but Palestine. Perhaps also citizenship must be granted only as a result of a religious test and he in an incredible way foreshadowed exactly what has happened in Israel in terms of religious apartheid and ethnic apartheid subsequently and um, there are is no question there are many Jews in this country who would uh, condemn the the uh, Zionist ideal uh, in respect of what is what is happening in terms of the apartheid in 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 Israel and would want to turn Israel more towards the idea of a much more inclusive state, um, and a state that uh, represents n not just Jews, but Muslims and Christians, and the long history of Jews, Muslims, and Christians in, in that part of the world. Um, and whilst it is recognized in Israeli law that any Jew from any part of the world has the right to return, it is recognized by UN at resolutions that those Palestinians who were expelled uh, from their villages, from their lands in 1947 onwards, have a have a right to return, and and one can imagine that the only way a long term solution uh, can be secured for all people in that part of the world, as you said, uh, Khalil, uh, whatever their religion might be is to create a state there which is truly inclusive and is not a 
uh, a, a purely religious and ethno-nationalist state. Uh, and as, as uh, Dr. Alim said, we would condemn the existence of any sort of state in that regard anywhere in the world, whether it was Pakistan or uh, you know, any, any other uh, uh, nation that, that somehow assumed uh, the, the supremacy of an individual group based on their, on their religious um, identity. Uh, Khalil, in the in the last few minutes of the programs, your your of the program, your thoughts on that? So I think there are two issues there. One of them is uh, the entitlement to have a state, and then the second is well, you know, who forms part of of each state. Mm. And I think that the starting point is that all people must be entitled to live in peace and dignity with justice and liberty. And that means that the Palestinians should be entitled to have their state and the uh, Jews, the Israelis, should also be entitled to have their state. Who then lives in each of those countries and how their constitutions are developed, I think, is a matter for the people of those nations. And I hope that they would look at their long shared history and say that we would be welcoming to each other, you know, during, after the Second World War, the Palestinians welcomed the Jews uh, into their land in order to give them protection. And there are many uh, Palestinians and Muslims who live in Israel at the moment and even participate in government. So, but I think the starting point has got to be that there is a genuine two-state solution and that all people have the entitlement to live in peace and in dignity and with justice and liberty. Thank you, Khalil. And and just and and I'm sure you would you would add to that a recognition by all parties of uh, an under of an understanding that the Palestinian people have a right to return to their to their lands, the lands that they were um, forcibly expelled from um, over, over the last seventy years, and and that the uh, continued occupation of Palestinian lands and the settlements in Palestinian lands as part of that. Um, should should end because there there is no way in which a, a an ongoing peace uh, can can be maintained. But I think I think Hamad, you know, I mean, this is this is the question for the negotiations, right? Because are you talking about 1948 borders or are you talking about 1967 borders? And I, you know, I would say that that there there is a process for for that negotiation, which is first the parties sit round the table and they agree, yes, there will be a two-state solution. And then after that, will you say, well, how is this two-state solution going to be constituted? But that recognition by all parties that there has to be a two-state solution must be the starting point. you know. And I think that's where the international community needs to push very, very hard, including neighboring Muslim countries to say that, you know, as I said earlier on, of course we must have a ceasefire and we must uh, immediately uh, stop the hostilities on all sides so that you can have humanitarian aid and you can have the, the individuals, the innocent people, um, able to at least live, you know, in a modicum of dignity with food and shelter and protection. And then the parties must work on a long-term solution. A ceasefire is by its nature only temporary, and so it's important to work towards that mm. two-state solution. But the parties have to recognize that first. And that is the pressure that needs to be applied on all sides to focus on saying there must be a two-state solution. And then we talk about what the borders of that of that two-state solution must be. That would be my very, very humble view.
Thank you, Khalil. And, and, and no question that this is a very complex issue. But Dr. Alim, just, just on that question that I sort of posed to Khalil, um, th- this this question of, of the ongoing expansion of Israeli settlements in in Palestinian land, both both land which is which is currently occupied by Palestinian people and, and land from which Palestinian people were expelled, and that's that's the subtlety that that Khalil is pointing to. But on on uh, on either of those two issues, the 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 right of of the Palestinian people in respect of that and the need to to stop settlements. We've just got a minute or so before the end of the program, but just your thoughts on that. Uh, yes, I think uh, historically um, uh, the Jews have su- suffered in Europe and there were many, many pogroms of the Jews in Europe and finally they decided that uh, they wanted a homeland of their own, uh, own and it was the uh, the, the, the German killing of, uh, you know, the German Holocaust that really uh, made sort of sure that this uh, this was happening and apparently it seems that uh, the palestinians had to pay the cost of the of the uh, of the killing of jews in europe uh, this is what the uh, this is how absurd this is but now that the uh, state of israel has already been formed there are many many resolutions in the un and certainly there is a full consensus on the return to 1967 borders uh, the oslo accords have approved that and both mm. palestinians and israelis had actually agreed but then israel went on and started putting and expanding the settlements and would not listen to any uh, compromise mm. uh, to stop those settlements and that is still going on right now mm. in the west bank mm. there are 750000 uh, israeli settlers who are you know, taking more and more land. So the two-state solution is basically dead. Mm. Uh, the one-state solution that you mentioned, Hamas, is a, still a possibility. Mm. And I believe that is perhaps the way out. But that would mean that one belligerent party, that is Israel, has to be taken uh, to, to task and put in a place mm. where they are willing to listen to the other party, which has not been recognized officially as a state. Mm. So you cannot really have a negotiation between yep. two entities which are unequal. Thank you, Dr. Aleem. And very sadly, at the end of the programme, really fascinating discussion. Thank you to both of my guests, Dr. Aleem and Khalil Youssef. And please join us again after the news. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam. The time is two minutes past 11. On today, Sunday, the 3rd of March, 2024. And um, you're joining us live. You're listening live to Weekend World. In the first hour of the programme, I had the pleasure of Khalil Youssef and Dr. Abdul Aleem talking about the current very sad situation unfolding in Gaza, um, the continued violence against Palestinian people there, and the need for a proper political solution to this situation, which um, otherwise is going to continue to unfold into a conflict which has the the risk of um, breaking out of those borders and and involving many other countries around the world, and uh, and and the, and the risk of a of a much wider um, conflict, the potential for a world war. It, it, it's a it's a real concern, a real worry for many people who are, who are watching things unfold. We're very lucky um, to uh, now in the s- uh, second half of the program be joined by uh, Mahmoud Ahmed. Um, who is our um, affectionately known as our American correspondent, um, Mahmoud Ahmed? Uh, Assalamualaikum. Thank you for joining us on a Weekend World. Assalamualaikum. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back, Mahmoud. It's been, it, it has been a while, and um, 
it, it's been a while in talking to you about lots of things that are that have been happening in in American politics. But I mean, I, I can't I can't not ask you about directly about the questions that we were discussing in the first hour of the program because I think that they they require perspective and they and they require wise words. Um, there, the things that we discussed were that there's no question that. Um, at this point, what we are seeing unfolding is a significant tragedy against the Palestinian people uh, and that the actions of the Israeli army in that respect are are, uh, very sadly not um, proportionate and and not in keeping with um, the idea that, that, that innocent civilians need to be protected and we have seen essentially a situation where the people of Gaza have been kettled into a tiny strip of land, bombed, um, uh, prevented from having electricity, clean water, food, starved to death. And 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 this this clearly has to end and, and it will only end through political pressure from other countries on the Israeli government and by the Israeli government pivoting away from their current approach to one that, that is um respectful of the of the needs of innocent civilians uh, in in that part of the world. But your your immediate thoughts on that, Mahmoud. Yeah, I I I think you you said it extremely well. Um and you know, to add to what you said, um, to pinpoint it more precisely, the United States, it appears, is really the only country that would have the wherewithal, uh, politically, militarily, um, diplomatically, to exert the kind of pressure that is necessary uh, for the government of Israel mm. to stop um, what it is doing um, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and I think that the great tragedy of this conflict as an American, um, and I think that, you know, politically what's interesting is that the number of Americans that seem to be um, recognizing this um, is, is unprecedented, is that the current administration has um, uh, com- com- completely fallen down on, on that job, uh, and that, you know, as, as some observers have now, you know, said very openly, and many people I think see this, is that whereas America in the past was accused of engaging in double standards when it came to its foreign policy, uh, you know, not, now the question really is whether it has any standards at all, and and and, and it's 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 just it's 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 tragic, mm. uh, it's gut wrenching, and I think for many people now it is enraging, um, and, and and you saw, you know, that that the president. Is, is potentially paying a, a, a real political price for this as well, uh, and 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 yet it, it doesn't seem to have, uh, to date, um, really resulted in any relief for the victims of of the, the Palestinian victims on the ground. Uh, thank you, Mahmoud. And, and watching the statements of um, spokespersons from the from the White House on on this issue. And the fact that they have to squirm in their support of of Israel, because there are many aspects of this that are very difficult to see how they are able to 
um, support Israel in in respect of of many of the the, the actions and and especially questions around the political ideologies which are very present here and and interestingly um, we've got a, a, a small quote here from a press conference with Hussam Zomlot who is the the Palestinian ambassador to the UK in which he was asked about the fact that in protests here in the UK. Um, individuals have been found to be chanting from the river to the sea, which some people, uh, they they would take, those protesters would take to, to be questions around um, the right of Palestinians to have freedom from the river to the sea. Others take to be an anti-Semitic chant suggesting that um, uh, Israel should not exist. Um, and yet, interestingly, the Israelis... Um, have used the same words. And so let's just have a listen to, to Hussam Zomlot and what he said in that regard. The charter of the ruling party in Israel, you know very well what it says. And this, these are not just individuals chanting in the streets of London. This, these are the rulers of Israel. Right, Netanyahu? Go back to the official charter. See what does it say in the Likud charter. It says Palestine effectively. Palestine doesn't exist. Israel is from the river to the sea. That's the ruling party for you. And the Israeli people elected that ruling party on the basis of that chart. Number two, the coalition agreement that brought this last government has second item in it saying that this government will oversee the right of self-determination for the Jewish people only exclusive to the Jewish people from the river to the sea, the government. And uh, a, a White House spokesperson, when he was asked specifically about the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu had used the, the term from the river to the sea, had pivoted that towards Hamas and said that they were wrong in, in using that. And so it's, it's, there seems to be an, an egregious a double standard being used here, Mahmoud, um, in, in, in that respect. And whilst you know, we, 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 sit, we sit here and we might say, of, of course... There's absolutely no question that if we were to interpret from the river to the sea, which in some senses is can be seen as an innocuous statement, if we were to in some way interpret that to be um, anti-Semitic um, in respect of the idea that it that it somehow is exclusive of Jewish people in that part of the world, then the same must be true if it is used in respect of um uh, an an israeli idea of expansion in that part of the world and the the uh, and of israel occupying uh, all land in in that part of the world from the river to the sea the same has to be true in 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 both respects and your your uh your take on that i th- i think there's there's two themes that run through um this particular issue that you just described that are very important to highlight and unpack um, the first is that the White House has taken, I think, the, the, the view and adopted the policy that it will never publicly criticize anything the Israeli government does in this conflict. Mm. Uh, in, 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 interestingly, the president has been more forthcoming in you know, private remarks that nonetheless have been leaked, you know, et, et, et cetera. Um, um, and, and, and perhaps there could be some merit to an approach along those lines if it resulted in privately pressuring the government to stop 
the atrocities that it is committing. And yet, unfortunately, that has not occurred, which then, re which re then really has the outcome of, uh, um, you know, no public criticism and a sense that, that the government of Israel is able to operate with impunity, which I think has served, you know, uh, um, the, the, the U.S. government very poorly in, in this conflict. And obviously, ultimately, uh, the brunt of that is being borne uh, by, by the children and women and, and the innocents of, of Gaza. So that's the first point I would highlight. The second thing that's interesting and that has also plagued uh, not just the White House, but frankly, I think the broader uh, um, Western uh, uh, media and opinion apparatus is that every time there's uncertainty or ambiguity, the facts are always interpreted maximally in favor of the Israeli government and maximally against Palestinians generally and certainly uh, 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 Hamas in particular. Uh, and, and, and I think this is another instance of that, where the, 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 the Israeli government and the Israeli ruling party is given the benefit of the doubt. Um, and Palestinians who, uh, you know, per, perhaps many of them uh, are, 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 are using that phrase uh, to um, uh, insist upon uh, dignity, self-determination, rights, uh, you know, within that space uh, are, are instead uh, interpreted to be calling uh, uh, for some type of genocide. Uh, and, and, and I think that you see that consistently, hmm. that type of, you know, doubt, benefit of the doubt given to one side and, 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 and suspicion to the other side, uh, you know, happening each time anything occurs in this conflict, whether there's an attack, uh, you know, who perpetrated it, why did it happen? Uh, or, or uh, other accusations or facts that are alleged. Thank, thank you for that, Mahmoud. And, and that, I guess, part, forms the background to part of the part of the challenge here in seeing any way forward through this conflict. Because um, um, clearly, if there is to be a ceasefire and a and a meaningful peace, it's it's got to have um, the sort of fairness that we're expecting to see. Um, in respect of the the rights of the Palestinian people to be able to um, live peaceful lives moving forward, notwithstanding that that will require significant conversations moving moving forward. I'll, I'll I'll put it at that and leave it there. It's not something that that I um, that we will get into on on this occasion. Perhaps one for a future discussion. Um, I wanted actually to pivot a little bit to Joe Biden and his approval ratings and the idea of double haters, which is a very interesting concept for put forward by pollsters. Uh, people within American politics who hate both Joe Biden and Donald Trump um, and and that they, they are the ones who, depending on their proportion, may end up swinging the election one one way or another. It's a It's a rather dreadful situation for American politics. Certainly. I mean, I, I, I think hate's always a strong word, but if you were to use, let's say, the word double disappointed, mm. you, you, you probably would be encompassing my, my own just personal guess is the, the significant majority of the American population. Mm. If, if you were to truly zero in on what is the percentage of Americans who are excited and enthusiastic 
about either of these uh, individuals as candidates for the presidency, I, I suspect you might be down to a number that is very small, maybe even fewer than one in 10 or one in one in five. Uh, uh, and, and, and the problem for President Biden is that the number of people who are enthusiastic about Trump as a candidate are probably larger than the number of people who are enthusiastic about him as a candidate. Uh, I, I think that the overwhelming majority of people who support President Biden uh, for re-election are doing so uh, uh, be, be, because of the, uh, frankly, the, the, the terror that that his opponent returning to office inspires in them. Mm. And, and and that's a that's a, a a very interesting position um, to for for Joe Biden to to be in, I guess, where. Um, the 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 disapproval rating for him has has reached an all time high at this point of, at forty seven percent, and yet dis, despite that, he may win um, the upcoming election purely because the alternative is so distasteful to so many people. I mean, what how, how maybe a broader question then for you, Mahmoud? Thinking a little bit more broadly, we're not going to be able to to resolve. Um, th- this challenge, this immediate challenge within American politics on, on this program, uh, sad as it is to say that. Um, a broader question for you. Uh, how did it get to this point where American politics is so utterly dominated by what some people have referred to as the gerontocracy? Um, that the, the, these two elderly gentlemen have so much power in American politics and that there appears to be no space for anyone else and a credible third or fourth candidate to be brought forward to be more representative of the hopes, fears and dreams of the American people? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question and one that I suspect will require, you know, some perspective, you know, and, and may, may, maybe even a decade or, or, or so hence We'll, we'll start to really understand the root cause of this political moment. I guess a couple of maybe observations in, you know, in, in real time that may be mm-hmm. illustrative. Uh, you know, one I think is very situational, which is that um, the, the, the reality is that Biden is the candidate that was able to beat Trump. Um, and then Biden's party defied the odds, to, so, so to speak, in the midterms elections, you know, in 2022, when they were widely predicted to to be routed and yet did very well. Um, and that, I think, created, frankly, um, an opening or, 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 or almost a, a compulsion for Biden to remain as the candidate for re-election, even though when he first ran in 2020, a lot of people expected that because of his age, he would be handing over the reins, perhaps to his vice president, Kamala Harris, in 2024, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, she also has not proven very popular, uh, a- a- and-, and that has probably contributed to 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 to, to why uh, you know he is running for re-election. Uh, you know, the, the 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 other perhaps more structural issue, um, which I-, I think Americans are wrestling with as a, as a country right now, is that the baby, the baby boomer generation. Uh, you know, which, which Biden and Trump are not part of that generation. They're actually slightly older than that. Uh, but not, none, nonetheless, uh, the, 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 these are older folks um, in the United States. 
um, you know, they form uh, a huge uh, number of Americans. They are a huge generation, uh, and they have a tremendous amount of both political power uh, and wealth, uh, mm. and therefore dictate the agenda of the country to a degree that no other generation of their age has ever done before. And so I suspect that that is also a reason why, uh, you know, old, old, older candidates have a type of traction uh, that they have not enjoyed um, in, in the past. Uh, but there is certainly a, a tremendous amount of frustration uh, about the fact that a country is large, dynamic, vibrant as, as ours, uh, you know, is not able to produce uh, uh, you know, um, a, 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 a greater number uh, of, of, of viable candidates, certainly ones who are, who are younger uh, than these two. Uh, th- thank you for that, Mahmoud. And, and I mean, I guess what what is concerning for people watching from outside is what it might tell us about how unhealthy American politics might be, that, that it is in this position where um, only if you have political weight and and money and by extension power uh, can you be in a position to to rule the rule the country um and it it is some somewhat dis- disappointing and i i guess in some ways it it kind of um uh, is aligned with the american ideals of of um uh, making something of oneself, pulling oneself up from one's bootstraps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, making making a fortune, going from something from nothing to something, um, and yet, uh, for many individuals, if they were looking at American politics, you, the the only apparently the only stipulation to become um, president of the United States would be to be born in the United States, and other than that, that's all you need. You can stand for president tomorrow, but the reality is that you wouldn't win. Because you wouldn't win unless you had the support of the lobbyists, of the money, of, of you know, even even if you were saying what people uh, felt was was true, and 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 of course it's not to be naive. Political power is is something which is developed over time, and you you build up the support of individuals. Um, but money seems to be such a core and central part of American politics that it it creates a situation of of significant unfairness in in the uh, political arena your your thoughts on that that question around money which i think is an important one for many people yeah. looking from the outside it, look it's 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 it, it money is a tremendously more important factor in american politics um you know ha- has been perhaps for a long time but certainly more so in the last couple of decades it, both because of the uh, amount of money that is required for um, ad- advertising and running campaigns, you know, has just become astronomical, um, and and also because of certain systemic things that have happened, including decisions at the at, at the Supreme Court that have unlocked the ability for people to spend unlimited amounts of money on campaigns, whereas previously there was a, a restriction on that. Um, you know, in, in, interestingly, um, it's 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 not so much that you have to be from money or have money in order to succeed. Although certainly I think that that, 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 that doesn't hurt, but there are plenty of candidates who have had plenty of money who have not succeeded. Uh, um, but, but, but I think that there is a sense in which you have to have the support of the moneyed classes, uh, um, which, which in some ways is even more concerning. 
because it creates this dynamic where um, you know a, a, a very small number of people who have an outsized amount of wealth um, are able to control and dictate the agenda uh, in a very significant way. Um, and so that is something that the United States has to grapple with. And you know, although you, you're correct, the U.S. certainly is defined uh, by this ethos of um, you know in, in individual agency uh, and 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 that you know being able to make your own living, make your own fortune, is what is what really uh, draws so many people here and has for centuries. There always has been a certain counterweight uh, of uh, uh, in, in ensuring uh, that that there is a level of democracy uh, and, and fairness in the system in order to ensure that it doesn't topple. Uh, and, and I think the U.S. is going through, um, you know, an, another moment right now where that risk is very clear and present, especially when combined, as it is right now with Mr. Trump as the uh, spearhead uh, of a movement that is, um, you know, uh, really uh, firing up a large segment of the population uh, on, under the belief that they are uh, at risk of extinction because of the changing cultural uh, demographics of the country. Thank you very much, Mahmoud. Um, always a pleasure to have you here on Weekend World. I'm afraid that's all we have time for this morning. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again for your wise words and your reflections on, on things that are happening in American politics. And hopefully we get to speak to you again uh, very soon. Um, thank you very much again, Mahmoud. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Right. Speak again soon. And that was uh, Mahmoud Ahmed, our American correspondent, and, and and a very interesting discussion there about American politics. We we move on to the to the next part of our program now. Um, uh, and, uh, and we get an opportunity to listen to the podcast from our colleagues at Rational Region. Uh, we we talked about the the Zionist political ideology at the in the first half of the program and and uh, what it has meant for conflict in that part of the world. Um, and our uh, our colleagues at Rational Religion um, uh, go go to unpack some of the elements of that now. Um, so let's uh, take an opportunity and listen to them. Uh, thank you for listening to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam. When I went to Israel, I saw the Bible come to life, and I said, this is the word of God. This is real. Paul said, you will bless the Jews. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you scorn Israel, you will be scorned. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. It doesn't mean if you violate God's commandments, if you murder and you butcher people, if you kill civilians, you can't criticize them, and that if you go against them or try to hold them accountable, God's their personal bouncer. This notion that the Jews are a special people mm. for which they're arming and funding Israel to bomb Palestinians, wiping out whole families. That's all premised on this Zionist idea that the Jews are uniquely special people intrinsically. And that all comes out of a belief that only they were sent a message from God. It's almost giving them a sense of entitlement that they can do whatever they want, that yeah. they have carte blanche. But they should be fearful mm. because God does not give carte blanche. Peace be upon you. Are Jews the chosen people of God? This is a common narrative amongst political Zionists, Zionists who say that they are the chosen people, and as such, they have a greater religious and moral right to the land of Palestine to make it, as they call it, Eretz Israel, 
the greater Israel. Um, this is the question that we're going to be tackling. And to do so, we are first going to be seeing some videos from some American people. Why don't you introduce them first? Well, there's nothing, nothing more to get you riled up and get your passion flowing than a nice Christian pastor from the evangelical South. So okay. Pastor John Hagee? Hagi from San Antonio. Take it away. Israel may be shaken, but she is not shattered. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob guarantees Israel's deliverance will come as proclaimed every year during Passover. It says in every generation they rise against Israel to destroy it. And the Holy One, blessed be He, saves Israel from their hands. The Bible says, He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. To those who seek to justify the slaughter of Israelis by demonizing the Jewish state, Israel is not merely a state. When millions of Zionists mention Israel, they don't just mean the only freedom-loving democracy. Israel is this and more. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Israel is the shining city on the hill. Israel says, God says of Israel, Israel is my firstborn son. Can we just pause for a second? I just feel it's important for us to remember that the official Christian doctrine is that all the Jews are going to hell. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah, that's so true. Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is the shoreline of eternity. Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel today and forever. So I find that really interesting because, I mean, it's just all garbage. Um, from his theological standpoint is yeah. what I mean. Yeah. He's just, he's just making, he's just, he's taking a position which is clearly in contravention. Uh, politically expedient. It's politically well. expedient, but spiritually it's garbage with respect to what he's saying. He, he yeah. believes, as you pointed out, if the Jews have not, uh, if you're not saved through Jesus, yeah. then you'll be thrown and cast into hell. Yeah. This is his view. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's a strange thing that they, the funny thing is, is that they, what they want to do is, as we mentioned in the previous video, they want to use Israel as a buffer and as a weapon against Islam. Mm. Right. That's, that's what, what Christian Zionism that's is. That's what Christian Zionism is all about. Right. Right. And they use all of these terms that Israel is a sh shining city on the hill. You know, that's, that's the description a, they were meant to use for America. That's an American term for America. Yeah. That's uh, sacrilege to the American faith. That's sacrilegious to the, the statism <laughs> of the Americans. Um, and... I find it extraordinary that they use these phrases like Israel is this, Israel is that, when uh, this is all kind of cherry picking from the Bible. Yeah. Because there's throughout the Bible, you have statements where God berates the Jewish people mm. repeatedly uh, that they, you've committed this sin, you've been worshiping Baal, you've been, you know, worshiping these idols, and then God punishes them repeatedly. Um, and God even says, I'm sick to death of your, I'm not sick to death, I'm sick of your sacrifices. You're the blood and the meat of your sacrifices. Mm. In other words, that these things, you're, they become rituals for you. Yeah. They're not, they're not meaningful anymore. Mm. Um, so God himself berates Israel, punishes Israel. And according to his own doctrines, they're all going to go to hell because they didn't accept Jesus. Yeah. Which, which raises the questions as to his both religious, religious and political motivations for this. As you said, yeah. religiously, this is used as a, as a weapon against Islam. That's right. And politically, I'm sure it's expedient for many of these people. Yeah. But it's theologically illiterate. Yeah. I mean, at least be honest as to what your own faith says. Yeah. And they believe when Jesus comes, because that's what they're trying to establish, 
They want uh, Israel to exist. They want Jesus to come. They believe that Jesus will then offer Jews the choice of believing in him, or if they don't, they'll be thrown in hell forever. Right, right. So again, extraordinarily cruel worldview. If we go on to the next video, it's, it's even more instructive in a way, actually. He looks like a stand-up gentleman. Let's see what he says. What Charlie nice Kirk. words he says. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you scorn Israel, you will be scorned. When I went to Israel, I was able to cry where Jesus cried, where he was betrayed by Judas and arrested, where he rose from the dead and gives us eternal life. I am not an apologist for Israel, but I reject wholeheartedly this narrative. Christians who turn their back on Israel, it says in Genesis and Romans, 1 Thessalonians, Paul said you will bless the Jews. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you scorn Israel, you will be scorned. So it's really interesting, this video. I think as <clears throat> Charlie Kirk. He's quite an eloquent speaker. He's very become very prominent on transgender issues. Mm. Um, and he's an interesting character. He's done a really good interview with uh, Patrick Bed David as well. But this video I found so in insightful because he completely, again, mutilates Christian scripture. Mm. I mean, if you bless Israel, you will be blessed. That's talking about the Israel as a nation and as a symbol of God's people. Mm. It doesn't mean that if you violate God's commandments, if you murder and you butcher people, if you kill civilians, you can't criticize them, and that if you go against them or try to hold them accountable, your God's gonna like God's their personal bouncer. Yeah. Okay. That God is God is a party and an abating, aiding and abetting yeah. sin, right? Of of cruelty against the Palestinians, right? Which is basically what he's saying. Yeah. That you have to support them unconditionally because God supports uh, the Jews unconditionally, which is false. And that's, I think, what we want to get to the heart of here, which is that they have this belief and this the Christians have, obviously the evangelical Christians have this view and the Jews have this view that God has chosen them such that even when they commit wrong, God has always got their back. Mm. This is this view that God has always got their back no matter what they do. Uh, I mean, and, and, and as you say, it is completely theologically illiterate, especially because even if you were to take this, um, these statements of Paul, which we wouldn't really accept anyway as, as Muslims, but let's say they accept them, right? I mean, this was obviously within a context. It doesn't mean that any group of later European converts who have some claim to being called children of Israel, yeah. but not as full a claim as others, yeah. would, if they make a state called Israel, that, oh, well, well my hands are tied. Yeah. I need to support them no matter what crimes they commit. Yeah. I mean, that is just absurd. Yeah, it wasn't, the, the, the state of Israel didn't even exist at the time. Yeah. And the extraordinary thing is that Jesus himself cursed the Jewish people. Hmm. This is the funniest thing. He's like, he who does not bless Israel, if you bless Israel, you will be blessed. What about Jesus? Yeah. Jesus cursed the Jewish people. Like, you look, look at the New Testament, it's full of his curse, cursing them, hmm. right? He says, oh, ye children of Satan. Hmm. He says, you are vipers. Vipers and yeah. Right? I mean, his, his language is chock full of, he says, for example, an adulterous and wicked, an adulterous and wicked nation hmm. seeketh a sign, but no sign shall be shown unto them except the sign of Jonah. See, Charlie Kirk, we can quote the Bible better than you. All right. <laughs> so, and the sign of Jonah was displayed. He did survive yeah. when he should have been killed, which was the sign of Jonah. Yeah. And he did survive the crucifixion and he fled east. And this is the funny thing about it. He says, I go, I was walking where uh, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, no, that's actually where Jesus survived the crucifixion and did not take your sins. Right. Um, and the, the Bible in actual fact is being misused by Paul when he says that he who blesses Israel will be blessed hmm. because Paul was in actual fact, a Pharisee uh, in the garb hmm. of a follower of Jesus. And what he was trying to do is he was always trying to magnify um, yeah. the nation, the Jewish supremacist the Jewish notions. Supremacist notions. Yeah. 
And this is something that I really want to emphasize, which is, can people tell me why Jesus was born of a virgin? Hmm. Why was Jesus born of a virgin? Like, why? What? And like all the other prophets like of Israel. all the other prophets of Israel, why was Jesus born of a virgin? Hmm. Right? The reason Jesus was born of a virgin was because at their time, they had developed this Jewish supremacist view, this kind of notion that they were exclusively, no matter what they do, no matter how they behave with respect to God's creatures, no matter mm. how they behave with respect to God's covenant, they will always be a, a special people that God will show greater favor to than other nations, right. as if God is their own personal racist. Uh, so- <laughs> That's basically what it is. God is their own personal race. So it's basically this idea of inherent supremacy. Inherent so supremacy. So nothing that you do can can remove it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. Jesus said they called them a wicked and, and, and adulterous generation, right? And as you said, that, I mean, that this was according to Ahmadiyya theology well, yeah. and the saying Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He said very explicitly that the the fact that Jesus was born from a virgin is a sign that the Jews were spiritually barren. Yep. That's exactly right. That they were no longer none of the none of their men were worthy of being the father of a prophet. Yeah. Right. Exactly and it was a sign that they were barren and thus prophethood was about to be conferred to uh, the to the not to people who are not the children of Isaac, but to another people. And this is made explicit. And this is, again, another example of Jesus cursing hmm. uh, his own nation. Hmm. who had rejected him, not those who accepted him. Remember, the majority of Jews accepted Jesus. Ended up accepting him. They yes. ended up accepting Jesus. So we're not talking uh, about and, the Jews, actually. We're not even talking about the Jews. And we're, those, talk, we're talking about those who have an ethno-supremacist mindset. Who are the ones who rejected Jesus. Yes. Well, some of them. We don't. Not all of them. There are many Jews who don't have an ethno-supremacist mindset. I meant mindset. at the time of Jesus' peace. You've been talking about historically, yeah. right. So, so I mean, and what's very interesting is that when the Jewish were Roman I mean, Wars, Americans in particular, American young Jews are turning away from this ethno-supremacist mindset. And they are mindset, to be commended. And they're because, because the cultural uh, propaganda, if you will, is extremely strong. So to turn away from that in the in the cause of humanity it's very is, admirable is very and, admirable. and praiseworthy. Yeah. But if we look at the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, the Messianic Jews, the ones who accepted him, you know, incredibly, if you actually look at the, we don't have many reports of, those, of that era, but the reports that we do have indicates that on the basis of dreams, yeah. the Messianic Jews, the believers of Jesus were actually led away from the land of Judea where the wars were going to be. Yeah. And they were taken to a place of refuge, but, and then the Jewish Roman wars happened. Yeah. And, and many of those um, people who rejected Jesus or the, the next generation ended up being killed. Yeah. And that was a t- town called Perea. Hmm. Um, and it's a, uh... I mean, Perea is still the place. And there were three uh, great wars. Three great three, wars, yeah. Three Je- Jewish-Roman wars. But the point I was trying to make was that you're absolutely right. So it's 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 all about the the fact that it was a symbol. Je- Je- Jesus being born without a mm. father mm. was a symbol and a signal yeah. that there is no man among you worthy mm. to be the father of the Messiah. Yeah. Right? So it's actually a way by for God to break their arrogance yeah. that we are the special chosen people. God's saying, you're not, you're not, you're so not special and chosen now mm. because of your deeds that I'm not even going to place the Messiah from amongst your men. There's none of no man among you is worthy of being his father. Yeah. Okay. And this is actually explained very beautifully by Jesus himself in Mark eleven thirteen, which completely gives the lie to Charlie Kirk's view of, Oh, he who blesses Israel because it's a land called Israel like, you know, uh, 2000 years later, we just must, you know, sanction what it does and, and give it cover for what it does. In Mark eleven thirteen, Jesus says, it says the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing mm. in the distance, a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves mm. because it was not the season for figs. 
Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Read this, read this paragraph. It's like, it makes no sense. Yeah. He's hungry. He goes up to a tree, which he knows is not in season. And it doesn't have any fruit because it's not in season. Yeah. And he curses it. What does that mean? Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus spoke in parables. So he's not actually talking about figs here. He's not talking about figs. He's not a horticulturist. He's not a horticulturist. He probably was a horticulturist. Maybe. Maybe. Who, who knows? But he was talking about... Spiritual a, horticulture. He's, he's talking about, <laughs> he was talking about the nation to whom he had been sent. Mm. The people of Judea who were going to reject him. Right. He came to them and they were not ready to receive him. The fig tree was a, a representation. Yeah. Of the Jewish nation. Yeah. Okay. So for example, in the Quran also refers to them by the fig and the olive and Mount Sinai and this city of security. Yeah. Right. So these are symbols, right? When he says that you will may no no one ever eat fruit from you again, it's a statement saying that you will have no more prophetic revelation in your community after me. Right. That's what it means. It means because you rejected me, those who reject me will never see prophethood amongst them again. And how is that going to be resolved? Well, Jesus himself, peace be upon him, spoke about it in Luke 13, 35. He says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes. Your house is left to you desolate and I, I shall not, and you shall not see me until you say first, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yes. In the name of Allah. Right? So it was a sign that prophethood was going to be transferred. And you would not see someone coming with the name of Jesus, with the name of the Messiah, until you believe in the universal Messiah, in the prophet, in the, in the great prophet that was to come, yeah. who was a great prophet. Because he said, him, you will not Muhammad. see me hence, yeah. unless you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who is the person who came in the name of the Lord? It was the one who brought a book, which every single chapter begins with the words, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Blessed, um, in the name of uh, in Allah. The name of Allah. Yeah. The gracious, the merciful. So unless you become a follower of Muhammad, you will not see the second coming of Christ because the second coming of Christ was to occur within the ummah, within the following of Muhammad, yeah. which has happened with the coming of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, who was born in 1835, died in 1908, and founded the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. And people may say to us, no, well, this is just a Muslim perspective. No, actually, this is a Jewish perspective. Because yeah. if you go to Deuteronomy and if you go to um, slide uh, 23, uh, so we just go two on. This was something which was said to be in Deuteronomy because, you know, if the Jews are the chosen people in the way that they think uniquely supreme for the rest of time, yeah. then why was it said by Moses in Deuteronomy that prophethood will, will go to a different people? It says in Deuteronomy 18, 17 to 19, and the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, brethren, like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But then he says, and a false prophet will die. Yeah. will be killed <coughs> and will be destroyed. And the, and the so prophet, he, gives a, he gives a very clear yeah. indications of his quality. So it'll be a prophet yeah. like Moses hmm. from among the brethren of Israel of hmm. the children of Israel, right? 
who will speak the so re- not from the from not from the no. the children of Isaac. No, not from the children of uh, uh, Ishak. Yeah, from the children of Ishmael. Yeah, right. Who is the brother of Isaac? Yeah, and he, uh, God will put older his, brother. God will put His words in His mouth, which means these are dictated revelation. Yeah, this is not like inspiration that oh, I believe that God tells me this and I write in my own words. Right, it is that the words of God are placed in His mouth directly. Yeah, and that the Quran is the claims to be the dictated word of God. The Quran yeah. does not claim to be the inspired word of God, and He shall speak to them all that I shall command him. In other words, He will fulfill His mission. Yep, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name. Again, in that concept of blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord, mm. right? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, the first words of every chapter of the Quran. I will require it of him. And then God gives a criteria. Mm. Um, if, you, if you see a prophet who says I speak, he speaks in my name, but I have not commanded him to speak, even that prophet shall be killed. I shall, I shall that, even that prophet shall die, shall be finished. Mm. And that means his movement will be finished. Yeah. Nobody can claim that Islam was finished. Islam is one of the great religions of world history. Yeah, right? and the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him survived twenty three years and survived. fulfilled his fulfilled the revelation of the Quran, exactly. fulfilled his mission. No, no prophet in history was as successful as him. He conquered Mecca, Medina, and the whole of Arabia was unified in his lifetime. So, a question first for first time in human history, right? So, a question for the Jews and Christians is: Who else was this fulfilled in? And if the Jews were supposed to be the chosen people for all for all time, then how come Moses, peace be upon him, said that prophethood would arise, would arise from a different people, and you shall be required to accept them? What this tells us is that the Jewish religious identity was not one which was meant to be held forever. Yeah. It was meant to be a transitional identity for a period of time for the Israelites yeah. before they accepted this prophet. Yeah. Jesus, peace be upon him, was their Messiah. And he himself said that you shall not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of my Lord. Yeah, which, so which name, of the, Lord. name so, of the Lord. So if we go back to chapter two, slide 21, the question has to be asked, and the Christians are going to be putting this to us, which is that how do we explain these verses? Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord of your God. The Lord your God has chosen to be a people for his treasured possession of all out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Chapter 14, verse 2 of Deuteronomy, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Exodus... 19.5, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, etc., etc. Yeah. How do you explain these phrases of God mm. that describe clearly the nation of Israel to be his chosen people? Well, according to the Holy Quran, you know, we're coming from a Muslim perspective, but it also makes sense in this context. They were people who were spiritually exalted. They were given a prophethood and uh, given a rank of spirituality that was higher than everyone else on earth. At the time. At the time, right? But that did not mean that they didn't reject their prophets and fell into God's disfavor. In fact, they did many times with many different prophets. And it got to a point where, as we have said, the spiritual condition of the Jews deteriorated so much that they were left, they were basically given one final chance. Yeah, with yeah? Jesus. With Jesus, peace be upon him. And he was a, a special prophet from among the Israelite prophets in terms of his spiritual power. And thus he was able to reform many, many of them, mm. right? The 10 tribes of Israel, who were the Northern Kingdom of Israel, they were scattered and they converted to him. Then many, or actually most of the two tribes of the Southern tribes of Israel, the Southern Kingdom, they also converted, right? And there was only a remnant who actually ended up disbelieving in him. That was because of Jesus' great spiritual power. But he said that someone else will come. And that mm. was the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And in fact, there, there is no last <laughs> chance, actually. There's a chance for everybody in every mm. nation, isn't there? Right. Um, and so that, in actual fact, what, what we mean is as a nation, yeah. if they persist in rejecting prophets, yeah. 
but every generation has their opportunity. Every individual has every individual has their opportunity. Now, now this idea of being a chosen people and being and being the the the, the um a chosen people, we've shown that in in the Jewish context, it was temporary. It was tied to their actions. But let's go to the last slide now, and this this Quranic concept explains this very well. And this is in chapter 3, verse 111, where God says, and this is to, to the Muslims in the Quran, you are the best people raised for the good of mankind. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil and believe in Allah. And if the people of the book had believed, it would have surely have been better for them. Some of them are believers, but most of them are disobedient. Yeah. So what do you take away from this? How, how is this a rejoinder to the Jewish supremacist idea yeah. that the Jews are eternally the chosen people? Yeah. So this is, this is, God explains here what it means to be a chosen people. Hmm. It says, you're the best people raised for the good of mankind. You enjoy what is good and forbid evil and believe in God in Allah, the one God. So if you fulfill those criteria, then you, then you are amongst God's chosen people at that time. Hmm. But that's not to say that if you reject that, that somehow God was still going to be attached to you. Mm. God's not your own per Like we are all the creatures of God. We're all the children. We're all the creatures of God. We're all uh, created in the image of God in the basic sense of the term. Well, and, and in the Bible, we are called the children of God. Right? That, that's a metaphor the that the Bible uses. Yeah, we don't use that in it really. In chapter 2, verse 123 to 126 of the Quran, the Quran really breaks down this question mm. of you know, what does it mean to be a, a chosen people? It says, O ye children, remember of Israel, remember my favor which I bestowed on you and that I exalted you above all peoples. Right? And then God explains what's meant by that. Mm. See, so God uses the idiom of the Bible, yeah, yeah. but then contextualizes <laughs> it yeah. so you can understand what it even means in the Bible. Yeah. Right? Because if it, God just said, I exalt you above the people of the time, yeah. then people, they would say, well, this is wrong. This is, we were, we, it says in our Bible that we were exalted above all the people. Hmm. So now God uses the same phrase, but then explains it. Mm. And fear the day when no soul shall serve as a substitute for another soul at all, nor shall any ransom be accepted from it, nor shall any intercession avail of it, nor shall they be helped. In other words, you're not going to get out of anything. Yeah. There's no way, neither, nobody else is going to pay a penalty for you. You're not going to be able to pay a ransom for yourself. Nobody's going to intercede on your behalf and nobody's going to help you out of charity. Okay. Yeah. All the ways of access, you're going to have to actually be worthy and says, remember when his Lord tried Abraham with certain commands which he fulfilled. In other words, even Abraham was not specially holy mm. insofar as he had something intrinsic. He had to fulfill certain commandments mm. before God favored him. He may have had a higher spiritual capacity, but he still had to, he, he was That's still what I mean. it's, there's nothing bound upon him to, to obey God. He was special by virtue of his actions. Mm. He was not special without his actions. Mm. That's what I mean, right? So if you think you're special, how much more special was Ibrahim, Abraham? Mm. This is what God is, this is the message God is giving. God even tried Abraham with certain commandments, which he fulfilled. And he said, I will make thee a leader of men. Abraham asked, and from among my offspring? He said, my covenant does not embrace the transgressors. Mm. So what's the message there? It means those of your children who are transgressors will not be special. And it, and it prophesies that there will be transgressors from amongst them. Exactly. And then it explains further. Remember the time when we made the house a resort for mankind, the, the Kaaba, and a place of security, and take ye the station of Abraham as a place of prayer. And we commanded Abraham and Ishmael, saying, Purify my house for those who perform the circuit, and for those who remain therein for devotion, and for those who bow down and fall prostrate in prayer. Mm. In other words, the commandments of Abraham were related to purifying yourself, yeah. to worshipping God. And, and being obedient to God's commands. Mm. So you can't fall outside the boundaries of that 
So, so after it says my covenant does not embrace the transgressors, it now tells you what it is you need to do to make sure you're not among the transgressors. Yeah. Can we just go back one slide? This is a post from the Times of Israel. Well, this is about what happens if you don't embrace Correct. this kind of universalist equal opportunities philosophy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that Islam gives you, yeah. which is every people had their prophets. The Jews were exalted for a period, but they misused uh, that that station and thus um, the, the prophet was transferred to others. And now everyone has their own individual trials. Yeah, absolutely. But we, yeah, but the message of Islam is there for everybody to, yeah. as a yeah. path to God. Um, the And that's open for all. And, and this is, I think, the most important thing we really want to highlight. This notion that the Jews are a special people especially for God, that these Christian Zionists hold and mm-hmm. for which they're arming and funding Israel to bomb Palestinians to death, mm. wiping out whole families. That's all premised on this Zionist, Christian Zionist idea that the Jews are somehow, and the Jewish Zionist idea, of course, as well, which is that they are a uniquely special people intrinsically. Yeah. Right? And that all comes out of a belief that only they were sent a message from God. Mm. So what does Islam say about that? Well, the Quran says that there is no people who have not been sent a warner, that a warner was raised among every people. Every people, the Quran says in multiple verses. Every, that, yeah, prophet is the word uh, used as well, not yeah, the verses. That a prophet has been raised amongst every people. Yeah. So, I mean, you a know. A messenger we sent, yeah, a messenger, Rasul, yeah. Yeah. So, warn, you know, saying, uh, worship Allah and um, shun the evil, shun the one. evil one. Yeah. You know, so this is the basic message of Islam and every major religion uh, revealed by a prophet was something which was shared, which is, you know, God is one and do good unto others and yeah. purify yourself. That was the message which the Quran says was given to everybody. Judaism does not have such a universalist perspective because it was only concerned with the, with the Israelites because it was... It was one of those national religions. But actually, to be fair to it, Moses, peace be upon him, did say that, yeah. that another people would be given a prophet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They had the prophecy of a universal religion like all national religions had. Yeah. Every national religion prophesied the coming of the Prophet Muhammad. He, and the Dajjal. And the Dajjal, the great liar. The Prophet Muhammad himself said, I was, I was prophesied by every nation. Every mm. messenger prophesied my coming. Mm. Okay. So the, the point I want to emphasize here is that because it's a national religion, it's a way station on the way to the international religion, which is of Islam. Good way of putting it, yeah. Um, the national religion had no framework of understanding what is the place of other nations, what yeah. is the guidance that God has given to other nations, because they didn't even have it within their conception. They don't even have it within their concept. If you ask a Jew, well, what about the Australian Aborigines? What about mm. the Native Americans? Were they given a Torah? Were they given a, a Torah teaching? They'll say, well, perhaps, maybe. The charitable amongst them will say, yes, maybe. But if you ask them for their scripture, mm. where is it written? They can't point to anything. There's no statement there that every nation had a messenger. On the contrary, they're told they're the special people. Mm. They're the uniquely special people. And this is why you get these kind of, when these national religions persisted after Islam, Mm. right, which was the international religion, which said, yes, every single nation has had their warner and prophet. So respect and believe in all of them. Mm. This is why the Quran emphasizes belief in Jesus and Moses and all of them, Mm. right? Because it has an internationalist perspective, it is a religion of true peace. Yeah. Because it is a religion which necessitates you to believe in the divine origin of Judaism, the divine origin of uh, Jesus was a prophet from God. And and it humbles you all to being equal creations of God. Yeah, because he sent a message to everybody. Yeah. Hinduism was from the Bhagavad Gita originally, its original form, whatever the revelations originally were, Hmm. they're also from God. But what happens to a culture amongst people who are, you know, who don't have that view and are taught a supremacist 
um, uh, ideology. Well you've, got, well, you've got two examples, two major examples of national religions which persisted yeah. uh, past the point when they should have accepted international, an international religion, which is Islam, which is Hinduism and Judaism. Right. And amongst both, you develop this supremacist ideology. Yeah. Right? And actually, they're often quite linked politically. Yeah. And, and even politically, the, the, Indian, uh, the Indian subcontinent, the Hindu fascists, they are the ones who support Israel the most fanatically, mm. right? And the reason is, is because they also have this notion that God only sent guidance to the Hindus, yeah. to the people living around the Indus Valley River, right? right? So the Jews have this view that only the Israel, only the family of Jacob yeah. received messages from God and all of mankind besides them were completely left barren. What does that, what must that tell you if you're raised in that ideology? It must tell you that you are special. Yeah. If you, out of all the nations of the earth... Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a four-year-old philosophy that is just generalized over entire cultures. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And then if you're, again, if you're Hindu, you have this, the God selected the people of the Indus Valley River because they were the most special. Why else would God, the creator of the entire universe, choose only your race if you're not special? Yeah. So you can argue that no, 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 it, it doesn't really mean, no, it necessarily means and, you're special. And you know what else the Quran says? There's life in other planets. Yeah. <laughs> you're not that special The Quran universalizes it beyond Earth. <laughs> The Quran says not only that there's like... And, and that the divine command, this is a quote, divine command comes down in their midst. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. they receive revelation. That they receive, the aliens receive revelation. <laughs> so they've got their own teaching. Don't you worry about them. We'll take care yeah. of them. Right? I wonder what some of these true believers... And we've, got a great, we've got a great article on our website, rationalreligion.co.uk, yeah, called First Contact, about uh, alien life but mentioned in the Quran. I wonder if when alien life does come, what, what if they'll say, no, no, we're the chosen people. We're the chosen people. <laughs> we, we received a Torah on a mountain, and, and you just got to respect that. And that's why we actually uh, own your planet. Um, <laughs> but this is... The new Zion. This is what happens when you... This, this quote here, I want to show this quote because this is what happens when you develop a supremacist ideology based on the notion that you alone received a message from God and nobody else did. So this is from the Times of Israel blog by Moshe Mordechai van Zuiden. And I'm sure there are many Jews who will decry this guy as an extremist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. And I don't doubt Especially he, many I don't young, doubt he is an extremist. Many young Western Jews. Ma many young Western Jews. I, I agree. But I want to show this not as an example to generalize across all Jews, uh, because it's obviously not true, especially with a lot of the protests. For example, Jewish Voices for Peace in the UK in, on Capitol Hill. You've had Torah Judaism, Torah Jews. You know, but but this is an important strain which forms the political culture in Israel. Exactly, you can't ignore it. Exactly, this is a common view amongst uh, Israeli religious Jews. Mm. Okay, and that is what's what what's behind as the ideological basis mm. for ethnically cleansing the Palestinians. Okay. And this is a quote from him. So in this, in this blog, he writes in the times of Israel, he says, when our, he's talking about anti-Semitism, he's talking about racism and comparing, he's making, drawing a distinction between racism against other nations and anti-Semitism, why anti-Semitism is particularly pernicious. Hmm. He's saying it's, it's a worse form of racism. So it's than, an exception. Uh, it's a trusty exceptionalism. Correct. Yeah. So he says, when our parents say they want to be our friends, oh, that's nice, but we better also respect them as teachers Totally equalizing them is demeaning them and arrogant of us. When Jews say they want to be everyone's friends and allies, that's nice. But Gentiles better also give them respect as their teachers. Totally equalizing them is demeaning them and arrogant. Note, we are not the Christian's older brother. Too many older brothers in the Hebrew Bible were passed over by younger siblings. We are their parents. Mm. 
And he says, then the idea that Jews should be no different than Gentiles already implies opposing Jews as if they should just adjust to majority norms, integrate in a similar way. And then in a later paragraph, he says this, Judaism laid much of the foundation of all monotheism, one God, science, one universe, and democracy, equality in the world. That's why hatred of Jews is the ultimate ungratefulness. Not rejection of God. Not rejection of God. Hatred of God isn't the ultimate ungratefulness. How can he say equality in the world while he's saying these things? I don't understand. That's why hatred of Jews is the ultimate ungratefulness, throwing mud on Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Einstein, and Herzl. I mean, Einstein... He believes Jesus was... Einstein despised Herzl. So he called him, he regarded him as... He didn't despise him, but he regarded him as as Zionism, as as an extremist. Hatred of Jews is throwing mud on Jesus. What? Yeah, I don't don't really understand it. He regards Jesus as somebody who will, you know, burn in hell. And he says, and, and this is what really gets me, this last sentence, and therefore... The Holocaust doesn't compare to any other genocide, Armenian included, though they are all horrific. Mm. What's he saying there? Thank you for listening to Weekend World on The Voice of Islam on today, Sunday the 3rd of March 2024. Do listen again soon.